So to give us kind of a review, to get us caught up, so we'll make sure that we're all up to speed if you weren't here last week. So last week, what actually happened was we were up close and personal with God and Moses as they were discussing the fact that God wanted them to move forward heading to the promised land. Now, he had let them know that in this, because of their sin with the golden calf, that God said, look, my presence isn't going to be with you. I'm going to send an angel ahead with you. Now, this comes as some pretty scary news, and Moses is really at a point of desperation because he's thinking about going into this occupied land where he knows all of these bad guys are, basically. And as he looks into that land going without God, he's like, youch. So as he reflects in this situation, to say that he's motivated by fear, and the Israelites as well, that they're motivated by fear is a fair statement. They literally come to God really just begging. Moses is begging God. He's thinking back to the fact that God's been faithful to him throughout all that they've gone through up to this point, And he also is holding on to the promises of God's presence. So as he calls out to God, what's interesting is, we talked about last week, is that fear of loss, right? That sense of almost losing something, how much more valuable it can become. And what we find is, with Moses, as he has this desire to be close to God, at the same time he realizes the fact that this presence is about to slip away, he becomes even more solidified in how important it is. And this also is taught to the Israelites. And in this moment, as he's coming to this realization, God reassures Moses and lets him know that, you know what, he is indeed going to go with him. And we look at that and people go, oh, you know, God changed his mind. But in reality, God knew what he was going to do the entire time. The change was not in God having a new revelation. It was all about Moses and the people coming to the deep understanding that there, it was absolutely essential for God to be with them. Now, so with this newfound confidence in their situation, Moses is going to come to God with a pretty bold request, okay? Uh, And this verse 18 is we're going to pick up here. uh, We're going to see where he's literally asking for something that's, that's, that's pretty amazing. Verse 18, he says this, And he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. Now, that's one of those phrases that we could just roll right by. Show me thy glory and just roll on past it. But what's interesting is that word glory, man, it jumped off the page to me. And that word glory shows up in Scripture 578 times times. That's a lot of scripture to review, but let me tell you what it's telling is he's saying, look, God, I want to see you. I want to see you for who you are. We got to realize in requesting to see God's glory, he's actually requesting to see God himself, to see God in his glory, right? Now this term that we use many times in a biblical sense is a, is a, is a term called Shekinah glory, okay? And a Shekinah glory means a, a bright, glorious presence of God. Well, what's interesting is that word is not actually found in the Bible. That's a Hebrew word to describe something that definitely exists in Scripture, but this is a Hebrew term that we use, that Shekinah glory is, a, is, a, is really the picture of this bright, powerful, intense glory of God. And I want to look at, a, at an instance where we'll get sort of a, a glimpse of that, uh, of that glory and what it kind of looks like. And we think about the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, in Acts 22, what's happening here is he's actually giving a testimony of what happened to him on the road to Damascus. He had actually literally left Jerusalem with writs to go gather up the Christians, to bring them back, to imprison them, and to torture them. So he's on his way to do the the devil's work, and on the road, this is what happens, Acts 22, verse 6. It says, And it came to pass that as I made my journey and was come nigh unto Damascus about noon, Suddenly there shone from heaven a great, a great light round about me. 
And I fell, on the, I fell onto the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And I answered, Who art thou, Lord? And he said unto me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest. When we look at that verse, we go, my goodness. Now, understand that Jesus at this point, Jesus has ascended. So how is he persecuting Jesus? Jesus is not on the earth. What's happened is he's going to persecute Christians. Now, we know that the Christians, a Christian is the body of Christ. So he's talking about them torturing, the, the torturing of these, of these Christians is literally torturing him. We see that we're the body of Christ in Romans 12, 5. We see it in 1 Corinthians 12, 27. We see it in Ephesians 3, 16. We also see it in Colossians 1, 18, as well as many other references. We are that body. So that persecution is actually on the Lord. And look at this, verse 9. And they that were with me saw indeed the light and were afraid, but they heard not the voice of him that spake to me. Okay, so I want you to understand, we're talking about a light here. Now, this is in the, this is more than just sunlight, because we know that it's noonday. This is the brightest time of day. If any of you ever stood in the noonday sun, man, look up at the sun, it is unbelievably bright. This light is so bright, so intense, that it overpowers noonday sun, so much so that hardened soldiers that are on their way to gather prisoners were frightened, not even by hearing a voice. All they saw was the light, and it was that intense over the sunlight that they were overwhelmed with fear just from the light, right? That's a pretty powerful light. This light is unbelievably powerful. So we see that it is incredibly tense, and it is powerful as well. Now, what's interesting as we continue, it says, And I said... What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said unto him, Arise, right? First of all, get off the ground. And go into Damascus, and there it shall be told thee of all things which are appointed for thee to do. Verse 11. And when I could not see for the, notice this, I could not see for the glory of that light being led by the hand of them that were with me, I came into Damascus. We see this light, this light, this glory is associated with the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to give you some further proof of that as we work our way through our scriptures, but it's an interesting thing. Understand that it is tied to Christ. In fact, in Exodus 34, we're going to look at another instance, right, where this power, this, this intense Shekinah glory impacts humanity. And what happens in Exodus chapter number 34, this is going to be in verses 29 and 30, Moses is coming down from the mountain, and I'm going to read you the scriptures, but understand, he is close to God, and it literally just, it, 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 it impacts him so much that he's glowing, I know that sounds crazy, but Moses is glowing. Exodus 24, verses 29 and 30, it says, And it came to pass when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tables of testimony in Moses' hands, when he came down from the mount, that Moses wist not, means he understood not, that the skin of his face shone, meaning his, lay, his face is glowing while he talked with them. Notice the response, verse 30. And when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, Behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come nigh. They said, man, we're afraid to even walk over to you. What's going to end up actually happening is he's going to end up putting a veil over his face because the brightness is frightening to them. And to give you an example, this is very much so like if you imagine having a very strong magnet. If we have a very strong magnet, we take a, a, a metal nail or steel nail, and we rub it on that magnet. What will happen is this piece of steel, which is not a magnet, but this piece of steel can take up magnetism from the magnet, and then it can actually attract other pieces of metal. So it becomes like a magnet, 
but it is not a magnet, right? So what happens is Moses' shine is just like the residual magnetism that we would find on the nail. Understand Moses, he's not the light, but he is, he is as a light, right? He's in the darkness as a light. And when we hear that phrase, as a light, if anybody's spending time reading the Bible, and we're in the book of Philippians, we've been studying for on, on, on a Wednesday nights, and I highly recommend be with us on Wednesday nights. 30 minutes, it's well worth your time at 7 o'clock on Wednesdays. But in Philippians 2.15, listen to this. So Moses was shining as a light. Notice this, Philippians 2.15. That ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, talking to us Christians, right? Without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, meaning, saying in the midst of a dark world, among whom, notice this passport here, it says, ye shine as light in the world. It's a dark world, and you and I shine as lights, right? The difference here is the fact that Moses, right, his closeness to God, his close contact to God is, was fleeting for him, right? His contact came and went. But you and I, guess what? We have the Spirit of God within us. We look at this and we go, my goodness gracious, there's a difference here. We're sealed by the Spirit of God that lives within us to the day of redemption. Moses' light came by an external contact. Well, guess what? Yours and mine? Guess what? It comes from internal, internal contact. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says this, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. Right? The Spirit of God dwelleth in you. Romans 8.11. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead, and also hath quickened your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. So as we consider ourselves as this book in Philippians tells us, as lights. Now, the word as is always a wonderful word. The words as and the word like are some of the most important words in the Bible because they're always giving you an example, right? So we're supposed to shine as lights. We're considered also this, the timeline, okay? When Philippians is written, Jesus is far ascended. He's been gone, but he's saying the word is supposed to shine as lights. What happens is after the Lord's ascension, remember when he ascended to God, right? The world fell into a spiritual night. We fell into a spiritual night. So we look at this, the sun, the S-O-N, is gone, right? So the source of light is gone. Consider the fact that Jesus describes himself in John 8, 12. He says this, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. For you and I, the light of the world is the sun. Spiritually speaking, it is the S-O-N, not the S-U-N. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. So those that follow him, those that are his children, guess what? We are going to have that light. So if Jesus was gone from the world at this point, once he ascends, we shift from a spiritual day to a spiritual night. And in Philippians 2.15, it talks about the fact that we are not the source of the light. We are nothing more than a reflection of his light. It's God's glory that shines out of us, not our own glory. Now, we've looked at how God designed nature and how God designed uh, the, the systems that we live within. And one of the things we've looked at is the fact that the sun and the moon, right? The sun is the source of light. And it's not a coincidence that it is called the sun and that Jesus is called the sun. And what's really cool is I, I highly recommend you, after we're done today, go read Malachi chapter 4, verse 2. Just take a look at that. And you're going to see that it's going to talk about the sun of righteousness. And when it spells S, it's going to be a capital S, U, in God is mirroring himself in creation. This light is shining. Now, but I want you to pay attention to the fact that the sun and the moon, the sun is the source of light, but in the night, at night, 
which we're in a spiritual night right now, the moon shines as a light. It shines into the darkness. When people look at the moon, they don't go, look, sunlight. They say, look, moonlight. The moon has the light, but it's not from the moon, right? That's you and I. Guess what? We have the light from the Lord. God manifests the light, that blinding light. Now, look, here's another example of that uh, light being manifested in Matthew 17, verses 1 through 8. And after six days, notice this, six days have passed on the seventh day. It's the seventh day is very relevant in the Bible. It shows up hundreds of times. Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart, verse 2, and was transfigured before them as his face did shine as the sun, right, a blinding light, as his raiment was white as the light, okay? So the incredible light of the sun, right? What I want you to understand is the fact that they use the term the sun because you've got to realize these men have no frame of reference for anything brighter than the sun. That's all they know. That's all they've ever, they look at the sun, it will blind them. So they're going to use that as an example. But we happen to know because of Paul's account that the light here is even brighter than that, much more intense. Now it says that Jesus was transfigured, okay? That word transfigured means transformed bodily. His figure was transformed. So Jesus is changed right before their eyes. His flesh that has veiled his glory, this flesh that he lives in, this flesh has veiled his glory. And what happens is it's kind of peeled back in this moment to reveal his true glorious form. And he's glowing here. Not only is he glowing, but his clothing literally is lit up because of this, right? So the glorious light of God, right, is associated again with Jesus, Look at this in Revelations 21, 23, and it'll prove to you that it's associated to Jesus. And the city had no need of the sun, talking about uh, the new Jerusalem being with God in heaven, neither of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it. There's no need of the sun because the glory of God did lighten it. And notice this last part. And the lamb is the light thereof. Jesus is the source of this glorious light, right? So within Christ is this blinding, glorious God that's mirrored in our son. Then you and I, sons and daughters, guess what? You and I have received the Lord. That same light is within us. Look at this in Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16. It says this, ye, speaking to us, he says, ye are the light of the world. A city that is on a hill cannot be hid. He says, look, you know what? That light has a purpose. Notice the next part. This transition, what we notice in these scriptures is John back in 8.12 said that I am the light of the world. Here he's telling us we're the light of the world. Verse 15, neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick and giveth it light unto all that are in the house. He said, look, the light that this candle gives off has a purpose, not just to be hidden for the individual candle, it's to emit light to the house. You and I don't have a light within us for the sake of our own life. It is to impact the world around us. Then verse 16, he's very clear to tell us that. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Again, we see glory attached to this. This light, man, this light is the good works of men. It's the work of people that love the Lord and that love being displayed to this planet. And again, understand this. It's the possession. You and I possess the light. It says, let your light shine. Let your light. Yes, we possess it. But guess what? When it's used properly, the rightful owner, God, gets the credit. You and I are not here to get credit for ourselves. Remember, it's about a humble walk 
It's about giving God honor and glory. And to give you an example, it's kind of like this. Let's say a natural disaster came through and wiped out the coast of North Carolina. And people were without food. The grocery stores were destroyed. Everything was torn up. And then what happened was Food Lion said, you know what, we're going to give millions of pounds of food. And they make this declaration. They bring all this food. And, and my wife and I, we go and get a truck and we drive down to the beach and we start distributing this food. And people are like, man, thank you so much. Thank you so much. And we were like, oh, you're welcome. <clears throat> yeah, we did it. That's ridiculous. We didn't gather the food. All we did was deliver it, right? We were just the hands and the feet, right? But the glory goes to Food Lion in that respect. Guess what? When you and I do something, God gets the glory. If we're doing it properly, if you take the glory for yourself, it is actually wrong. Let your light so shine. Remember, see that? That it will glorify your Father which is in heaven. Again, we see that powerful light for good tied to glory. Now, Back up on the Mount of Transfiguration, right? We're with Peter, James, and John, verse 3. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias talking with him. When it says him, it's talking about Jesus. And when you see Elias, what I want you to understand is Elias is Isaiah, okay? The Old Testament is written in Hebrew, and you'd you'd be pronounced Isaiah. If you thought what happens is the New Testament is written in Greek. So when you take that rendering of Isaiah, when you put it into Greek, it becomes Elias, verse number 4. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make three, make here three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elias. Peter's like, man, oh man, God, will you let us just worship all three of you right now? And as, notice this, verse 5, Peter's always one to step out and say things he shouldn't be saying. Verse 5, while he yet spake. Okay. While he yet spake, behold, a bright light overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved son. Notice he does not pick out anybody else. He doesn't pick out Elias. He doesn't pick out, doesn't pick out Moses. He only mentions this. This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. He said, look, basically, hey, you know what? Peter, this isn't the time for you to be talking. Why don't you shut your trap and do some listening, my friend? Why don't you pay attention? Imagine that, man. Imagine the God of the universe cutting you off mid-speech and telling you basically to shut up. I mean, my goodness, we think about that. That's what it made me think of was when I was a kid. When I was a kid, man, I could not go more than a minute without talking. I know you guys cannot imagine that to be true, but I could not go without talking. And my mother used to pay me to be quiet. We'd be in the car, and she goes, I'll give you 50 cents. If you just don't talk until we get to the store, just don't talk. And I would sit there, <laughs> I would hum, I'd do all kinds of stuff. I could not do it to save my life. And here we are. You know what? It's, and it's a great lesson for us to learn, and I've learned it over time. It is so much better for us to spend time listening than to spend time talking. Because guess what? When you listen, you can learn. God gave us two ears and just one mouth, right? We look in James 1.19, it says, Wherefore, it says, Ye beloved, let every man be swift to hear, let him be slow to speak, and slow to wrath. He says, take more time to listen. It's a wonderful rule of thumb for you and I to do more listening and less talking. In fact, Jesus himself says again and again and again, hath, having, have ears to hear, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear, right? He wants us to listen. And that's what he's trying to, Peter, in this situation, hey, Peter, just listen. My prayer for us, guys, is that every week when we listen to the scriptures, when we spend time in the word of God, when we read the word of God, that we have ears to hear. 
that God will speak to us, man. Because you know what? There is truth that we need to apply to our lives and not just have ears to hear it, but let it translate into our walk that we might really, literally not only see the glory of God, but display the glory of God. Now, continuing Matthew 17, he says, And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. So Peter gets cut off. They fall flat on their face. Man, the presence of God on a proper view of God always humbles uh, humbles humanity. What we find is when you go through Scripture, anytime you find men find themselves in the presence of God, the only comfortable position they can find is on their faces, man, on their faces. Verse number 7, And Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and be not afraid, right? What I want you to understand is that this is James, John, and Peter. And what we'll find is John, actually, when he's an elderly man, he is actually going to be in this same situation. One point in time, he's going to be called up to heaven. God's going to give him the revelation of Jesus Christ. We call it in the Bible, the book of Revelation. And John's going to be given that. And what he'll do is in that situation, and when he's called up to heaven, when he's a very elderly man, he's going to find himself again face-to-face with Jesus on his face. Notice in Revelations 1.17, this is John. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. The same comfort that God offered him on the Mount of Transfiguration is the exact same comfort he's going to offer him now. He says, you know what, John, you know me. You know me, John. Again, our loving Savior will comfort John personally. Such a beautiful thing. So here on the Mount of Transfiguration, John's not going to receive a prophecy. What's happening here is these men's faith is being strengthened. They're being hardened and prepared for what lies ahead because it's going to be a tough road. Verse number eight, finishing up Matthew 17. And when they had left and when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. So boom, the lights are gone. Everything's done. And there he looks just like he did before. The veil of flesh has been reapplied. And now what we see is his human form is displayed to Peter, James, and John. They had been given a glimpse, just a glimpse of what Moses is asking to see. They just got this just quick little thing. Man, it put them on their faces. So understand, Moses does not understand the dangers of what he's asking for. He simply wants to know God. Verse 20, God continues, And he said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. So he said, Hey, you don't understand what you're asking for would kill you, Moses. No person can look upon God, not in his fully glorified form. What we find here is Jesus will assume this form, this glorified form, when he ascends back to the Father. In John 7, 39, just prior to him going back, he says, But this spake he of the Spirit. He's talking about the Holy Spirit coming which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given because, Jesus, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus will receive that glorified body, that perfect body, right? He has not ascended to this point. So no human being can look upon God in his full glory in our flesh because guess what? Our flesh is imperfect. Our flesh is not righteous. But what's good news is as believers... We're going to have two different bodies. We'll have two different forms. Let me show it to you in 1 Corinthians 15, 44. 1 Corinthians 15, 44. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body, right? Our natural body cannot look at God. It is our natural body, meaning this one prior to God changing it. 
But when we have a glorified body, man, when we get a glorified body, which is like his, we will be able to look right into the loving face of our Savior in all of his glory. Praise God. Philippians 3, verses 20 and 21. For our conversation is in heaven. It's talking about your real life. Our real life is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to be looking for the Savior, looking to see him face to face as he is. Notice this, verse 21. Who shall change our vile body. He's saying he's going to change this body of sin that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. According to the working thereby, he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. God can do this because God can do anything. So in this moment, when this happens, you and I, by the power of God, we're going to be transfigured just the way he was and taken from our human form into our glorified form. And guess what? We will, see, we will be as he is. 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. We're the born-again children of God. And it doth not yet appear, but we shall be what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. In that glorified body, we will be looking right into the glory of God. Praise the Lord, man. That's awesome, awesome, awesome news. No doubt about it. But guess what? It's, it's even, it's, this is cool. Check this out. Verse 21, God continues. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me. And I'm just going to pause on that verse right there. There is a place by me. And I want you to hang on to that, man. A place by me. Isn't that the best news you've ever heard? There is a place God has for us, man. And not only is it, not only does he have a place for us, but it's by him, man. I mean, how, how awesome is that? That's incredible when we think about these verses, what God's actually saying. By him. Now, when I was a kid, just to give you an example, just to, I thought about this, and it's kind of crazy, but when I, was, when I was little, my dad was in the military, and we lived in Anchorage, Alaska. And we lived on the Air Force Base, and then we moved off the base. Well, there was a show that used to come on. I don't know what day it came on, but when I was about five, six, seven years old. There was a show that came on. It was called Mother Moose. And Mother Moose was very much like a Captain Kangaroo, and they had this person in this crazy <laughs> moose outfit. But when we were kids, man, that was the deal. I mean, everybody loved Mother Moose. That was like, man, that was the, the it. And we got an opportunity one time to go be on the set of the local program and be with Mother Moose. And I mean, dude, you want to talk about being excited. We could not wait to get there. And when we got there, you gathered up on the carpet and Mother Moose was sitting in this chair. And I don't know how, I don't even remember what Mother Moose looks like. But anyway, I remember being excited. And you know what? Not only did I get to be near Mother Moose, but I got to sit right by Mother Moose, right there. And I know that's a silly example, but I cannot tell you as a little kid how excited I was to look at the other kids that are out there. They were close, but I was right there, right by her. And I think about God, man. He's saying, you know what? You can be by me, not just near me, man, but you can be by me. And I've got a place prepared for you, man. How beautiful is this? We picture up, uh, you see this, uh, now we're picturing this up close and personal being with God and being with God's glory. We think about what God's glory is, what it represents, the power that's there, man, beside him, right by his side. And the Lord continues in that verse. And he says, and thou shalt stand upon a rock. Guys, the words of the Bible are very, very important. They teach us deeper truths, right? In order here, we look at this. We think about rocks in the Bible. Why is rock important? It shows up again and again and again and again. 
right? Think about it. Back in Exodus 17 when we studied, when they ran out of water, they went to a rock, and Moses struck that rock, and the water poured out. And that rock was a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. I can prove it to you. 1 First, First Corinthians 10.4 says this, And did all drink the same spiritual drink, talking about this, happen, this occurrence with the Israelites, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and listen to this, and that rock was Christ. That rock was Christ. Jesus is the rock. Think about this. Psalm 18 says this in Psalm 18.31, For who is God save the Lord? Or who is a rock? Save our God. The Lord liveth, and blessed be my rock. Man, that's the Lord. And let the God of my salvation be exalted. The God of my salvation. Guess who that is? The Lord Jesus Christ. The rock. Again and again, we see the Lord described as a rock. We see him as a foundation. Luke 6, 48. Luke 6, 48 says this, He is like a man which built a house and dig deep and laid the foundation on a rock, man. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently upon that house and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. A foundation of a rock, right? Listen to what the Lord said. Listen, the, the faith in Christ that the, that the church is built upon, listen to what Jesus says about it right here. Matthew 16, verses 15 through 18, speaking to Peter. Speaking to the disciples, he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Who do you think that I am? And notice this in verse 16. Simon Peter always wanted to speak up. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Man, Peter nails it. He nails it. And Jesus says this. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Man, he says, look, you are listening to the Lord, man. You're walking with God, dude. You just spoke the gospel truth, Peter. Well done. Verse 18, And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Understand, people go, oh, that means that Peter, the whole church is built around Peter. No, what he's talking about is what Peter said. It's built upon the gospel truth of who Christ is. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that's what builds the church. That's what he's referring to. The rock is Christ. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. If you are a born-again child of God, guess what? Hell has no hold on you because you've been set free by the blood of the Lamb. Praise God. If you're not at home saying, Amen, then I don't know what's wrong with you. Anyway, if you were here, I'd hear you, but I can't, so I'm just imagining you're all cheering with me. Praise God. So, we see that in order to take our place by God, the place He's prepared for us, we see here that, guess what? We need to be standing on a foundation. We need to be standing upon faith in the Lord, man. We're standing on the rock, right? After all, look how the Lord describes, look how the Lord's described in Ephesians chapter number 2, verses 18 and 20. For through him, Jesus, we both have access by one spirit unto the Father and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief corner stone. He is the foundation of our lives. Man, we built it upon the truth of the death, burial, and resurrection. We built it upon the rock, man, the rock. It is our foundation. Because in order for us to be in the place that God's prepared for us, we must be standing firmly on the rock. God continues, verse 22. And it shall come to pass, while my glory passeth by, that I will put thee in a cliff of the rock, and will cover thee with mine hand, while I pass by. Not only will the rock act as a foundation for Moses, but guess what? It's also going to act as his protection. 
It's going to act as his protection. A cleft is like a, a deep crack or like a crevice in a wall or like a hole kind of thing. So God's going to shield Moses with his own hand, but then the rock is going to protect him the rest of the way. And what we see again is this picturing here. Look at Psalm 62. Psalm 62, verses 6 and 7. Notice this. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation and my glory, the rock of my strength. Oh my goodness, look at this. And my refuge is in God. My refuge is in God. In this rock, man, we see a picture of our loving Lord. We see Jesus, man, as a foundation. He's what allows us access to the Father through His sacrifice. He acts as our refuge, man, as He protects us from the, from the judgment of God because of the atonement that He made on our behalf. It's just awesome, man. God's just, I cannot tell you how much I love the Old Testament and all these things, that it stands out. It's awesome. Verse 23, And I will take away mine hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. You're not going to see my face, man. You're not going to see my face. Look at the extent. Look at this. This is something that Moses asked for. It's not something that's necessary, but look at the extent of what God will do in order to bless one of his children. All of this just to give Moses what he's asked for. Now, what's going to happen is Moses is not going to get all that he asked for. He's going to get a partial answer. He's going to just see the back of God, right? Now, why would God do that? Why would God do that? I don't know, honestly. Now, is it possible that God says, you know what? I just love blessing my kids. I just want to be there for them. I just love them. Not necessarily with what exactly they've asked for, because guess that it's not good for them. They don't maybe not know it. But understand, I want to at least let them know that I've heard them. And I'm going to show them something. There are lives that there have been times in our lives probably when we've prayed for things. And we've asked God for very specific answers to prayer. And maybe they've not been answered. Maybe they've been answered with something different. But maybe they've been even partially answered, kind of like what Moses experiences here. And it's maybe the fact is that God's simply saying, hey, you know what? What you're asking for, it's not what's best for you. And maybe by not answering or by not answering completely, in fact, what God's doing is he's protecting us the very same way he is Moses. He's protecting Moses from what Moses asked for because the glory of God would kill him. Now, I don't know for sure, but that sounds an awful lot like our God. We think about Moses, we think about Elijah, we think about or Isaiah standing there facing God. And Moses, man, he sees only God's back, right? He only sees God's back. And I'm sure he's disappointed because he wanted to see more. But he has no idea that, guess what? One day, their time will be, there'll be a time that is exactly, he's going to experience exactly what he asked for. Because think about it, back on the mountain, whenever he revealed himself in all of his glory, and he stood talking to Moses and to Isaiah. And the very thing that Moses has asked for way back here is going to be answered. He's going to experience it right there, and it's going to be more amazing than he can possibly imagine. The question is, are you and I earnestly seeking the Lord, right? Moses asked, he received partially, but guess what? God always fulfills those requests. He had a desire for Moses to see him. You see, Moses, he only had one option, which is to see God in person. That's all he had. He could see God physically. But guess what? That's not the case for us. You and I, guess what? We, we possess, right, the Word. We possess the Spirit of God. It lives within us. We can see Him, see His Spirit in His Word. We can see it in the Spirit. We can also see it in our walk as we surrender to the Lord and we see God's glory in our lives. So we have different opportunities to see it. But the question is, are we seeking it? 
right? Are we seeking? Are we going to those different places in order to find and to find to see God's glory? Do we have the desire that Moses did? Are we seeking to see God, to really connect with him? Are we searching for his glory in the midst of his word? Like I told you, man, the word glory shows up 578 times. Imagine if you go read all those verses. It'll take you a while. But I'm telling you, you'll get a much richer, more beautiful picture of what glory is. Are we spending time communing with him in his spirit, right? As his spirit is within us, are we communing in his spirit in prayer as we talk to God? And is our life displaying it to the world? The question is, are we sold out to God or are we sold out to the world? It's easy to find out which one you are. If you're sitting there going, well, I'm not sure, I don't know, let me think about it. Well, guess what? All you have to do is, while we've been staying at home for the last six weeks, all we got to do, hey, during this time, have you been growing closer and closer to God as you've been seeking Him and trying to get close to Him? Has that been the answer of what's taken place over the last six weeks? Or have you been caught up in the distractions? Are you slipping further and further and further away from God where whenever, you know, we tell you, hey, we got Wednesday nights, yeah, I'll watch it later. 11 o'clock, you know what? Yeah, I'll see it. The problem is, you know what happens? The devil wants us to be distracted. He wants us to have our eyes on other things. He does not want us to grow in the things of the Lord because he doesn't want us to make God's glory revealed to this world. And the problem we have is the fact that every one of those people that I'm talking about right now that are, that are slipping away, they're not even watching. They're not even on there. And guess what? They're going to find an excuse not to watch later because you know what? Something else is going to come up and their spiritual growth is not priority. And guess who they're not seeking? They're not seeking the Lord. They're not giving him glory. Their life's not glorifying God. So we find this, and it's frustrating to me. I want it for you, but guess what? My job is to share the truth with you. What you do with it, that's between you and God. My job is, like they say, take a horse to water, but you cannot make it drink. I can bust my tail every week and read these scriptures and pray over them and write this message and try to reach out to this world and give you my heart. But if it does not speak to you, it's not because I'm not trying, not because God's not working. It's because you make a choice. Not to receive it. And I want you to know that God has something for you. His glory is so beautiful. I've never seen it in my physical body. Man, I've experienced it through the word. I've experienced it in prayer. I've experienced it through a walk with him that is glorious and beautiful and peaceful. And I'm telling you, we want that for every one of you out there. I want it for you so bad. We should be seeking for God's glory as we pursue a godly life and we dig into the scripture and we learn of who he is and we seek to know him. And then at the same time, guess what? Our life should be displaying his glory to this world. It said, let your light so shine, man. It's the glory of God. This world needs the glory of God. It needs the power of God's will and God's working in this place. And understand, these areas of our lives, if we look at them over the last six weeks, and I go, you know what, man, that's me. I've been searching, I've been seeking for the Lord. I've been spending time in prayer. I've been reading my Bible. I've been earnestly seeking Him. And my life, guess what? It's given glory to the world. And you know what I mean? I know I'm displaying it to the planet. Praise God, man. If that's you, praise God. But if it's not, if it's not, why? If we think about our lives and somebody thinks about us, is our name, is our image, is it synonymous with the glory of God? There are some people that you'll meet, and you know what? When you think of them, man, God gets glory. They just shine so bright. And there's other folks you meet, and you have no idea where they stand with God, and they're Christians. It's amazing. The whole goal is, you and I, as children of God, there should be a burning desire in our hearts to see His glory. 
burning desire to see his glory. And at the same time, guess what? There needs to be a burning desire in our heart that this world would see him. When you go through your life and you go through your day, there should be a burden on our hearts that this world would see who he is. God is good. God is faithful. God is love. God is glory. God is restorative. God is forgiving, man. If you look in your own life and you look back at what he's done for you in your life and you say, you know what? I'm a result of God's glory. I'm a result of God's goodness. And you keep it to yourself. Why? Why? There are people that are broken right now and they need to know him. And you know what? We have his glory within us. Yet we keep it hidden under a bushel. It's supposed to be on a candlestick so it can light the room. You and I are supposed to light the world. We're supposed to impact this planet for the cause of Christ so they can see it. Man, I'm telling you, if you are growing in the Lord and you're seeking him and you're giving glory to his name, I praise God for that. But if it is not the case, if that is not you, and over this time you become more and more distracted and you've got more and more hobbies and God's become less and less important and you've gotten your eyes off of what you were doing before and you're slipping into the world, I beg you, I beg you, I beg you to take your eyes and your heart off of this world. I beg you. It will always work as a distraction. It will always be a temptation. It will always be the case. We have got to learn to serve the Lord with our hearts and give Him our lives. If you sell yourself out to anything, sell it out to God and not to this world. Because I'm telling you what, this life will never give you what God can give you. There is a glory in Him and there is a glory in us. And man, I'm telling you what, if we will do it the right way, if we'll do it the right way, then guess what? Man, the Lord can take you. If you had your eyes on the world, and if you let that go, and you focus on God, and you hear from Him through His Word, and you commune with Him in prayer, and you walk with Him through your life, guess what will happen? Is these eyes, they'll start to fill up with the glory of God. And this heart, they'll start to fill up with the love of God. And you'll be burdened for people. And your life will speak volumes to people. And in that case, guess what? Not only will you, but the world around you, We'll get to see his glory. It's why we're here. It's why you were born. It's why he saved you. It's not about you. It's about him. When you come to this church, it says it's not about me. It's all about him. It says it over the door of every place you come in. I sure to say it. And that's the key, man. If you steal God's glory, man, you're, you're a thief, man. You're taking what's not yours. You're taking credit for something that's not yours. Man, I'm telling you, let let your light shine in this world. Because when you do, you'll see him more clearly. And that blinding light of love can fill your heart. And God can use you to change other people. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for today, God, for the opportunity we've had to come to your house, to hear from you, Lord. I thank you, God, for the burden. Uh, Father, there are people in our church, God, they're a burden for the lost. And Lord, I praise you for that. Thank you for their hearts. I thank you, Lord, for the life they live. I thank you, Lord, for their desire to know. The fact that they're online today and they're paying attention, they're listening, and they're growing. God, I do pray for those that are not, those that have gotten distracted. They're going to watch it later, they say, but it'll never happen. God, I pray, help us, Lord, to truly, earnestly seek you. God, if we're your children, Lord, let us shine. And if you're here today and you're joined us online and you say, you know what, Pastor, I hear your passion. I know there's something I don't have. 18 years ago, someone came to my house and shared the truth of God's word with me. 
and it changed my life. And I realized in that moment that I did not have a relationship with God. I might have believed in God, but let me tell you, there's a whole big difference between believing in God, reading the Bible, praying, all those things are good, but bottom line is you are not a child of God unless you have received his son. It is through him. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no man cometh to the Father but by me. If you're going by way of your church, by your family, by your religion, you are not going to find God. You'll never see his glory. You'll never receive a glorified body. You'll be caught up in religion and the lies of the devil, and he will keep you away from the truth. But if you're here today and you say, you know what, I know what you're saying is true, Pastor. I know what you're saying is real. And you want to receive the gift that I received 18 years ago that changed my life and gave me a home in heaven and allowed me to experience the glory of God. Let me tell you, it's available to you today. You can pray right now. I'm going to, tell, I'm going to help you. Understand, it's not a matter of a, of a ceremony. This is not a religious thing. It's not a matter of, of a special magical prayer. It's no ceremonial thing. There's no candles involved. There's no, nothing. It's a matter of you, your heart, and God. The night I got saved, my wife and I, we were sitting on a couch and I slid off onto the floor and I prayed and asked Christ to come into my heart and to forgive me of my sins and I stood up a different man and that's been that difference forever from this point on. And I'm telling you right now, you can receive that gift. I'm gonna give you an opportunity to pray right where you're sitting. This is not between you and me, this is between you and God. And as he speaks to your heart, the Holy Spirit is already drawing you and all you have to do is surrender. He's already done all the work. He's gone to the cross. He's died for your sins. He's paid the price that you cannot pay. And if you'll ask him to, he will forgive you and he will save you. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, right where you are, I'm going to pray out loud. And I want you to repeat this prayer after me. Not the words that will do anything for you. It's God. He's listening to your heart. So repeat after me with your heart and mind. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. God, I've done so many things wrong, and I'm sorry. I pray, God, and I trust you right now to be my Savior, to be my Lord. And God, I ask for your forgiveness. I ask for you to pay the price for my sin. You died on the cross, and you gave me a way to heaven. God, I'm thanking you right now for what you've done, and I'm receiving it for myself personally. God, come into my heart, save my soul, and give me a home in heaven. Lord, I repent of my previous life. I turn to you. I claim you to be my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for saving me. I'll see you in heaven one day. For it's in Jesus' name I pray and give thanks. Amen.